moved house, gone and got a flat. We've got married. We've just had Phoenix, which is now two, I believe, or three. And I was like, life's moving too fast. I was panicking about bills. I was panicking about health for me because I wanted to be around for my daughter forever. And at that time, I was like 24 stone, I believe. So health was a problem. Everything just seemed to be a problem. And I think having all those drastic changes so sporadically when I was literally accustomed to just living at home with my mum, all of a sudden I had to man up in months. And that gave me a massive anxiety level in terms of thinking if I could cope, trauma of, am I going to be a good dad? Am I not going to be a good dad? Am I going to be a husband? I'm not going to be a good husband. And that stereotype you're played of, you know, not being there for your kids and what society kind of portray. And then things got difficult um, in terms of, finances you know the wedding came loads of money was being spent but not lots of money was coming in it just got difficult welcome ladies and gentlemen i'm your host matt brown and you're listening to the each episode we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go! Welcome everybody to another episode of Every L Podcast where we have different guests come on and we talk about things that have happened in their past, what they've experienced, how they navigated it and ultimately what did they get from it? Was it actually a loss and that's it? If so, that's calm. If it wasn't, what was it? Let's have a conversation and I honestly enjoy having these conversations because I, I think it's it's so important that we acknowledge that we all go through something. We all have our own struggles, our battles. Our life is not as clear cut as social media portrays it to be. There are layers to our lives and it's important that we acknowledge what we've gone through and ultimately be kinder to ourselves because we've kind of endured a lot and still standing. So hats off to us for doing all that we've done. Today, I have a guest as always. And this guest is, woo cliche amazing I, I love them for what they do I love them for how they conduct themselves I love them for their passion for just putting themselves in a position of being able to support those that are vulnerable those that need it too many times we can easily just walk on the streets mind our own business see someone just sat there on the street corner or wherever it may be and just pass them and feel no way not even not even acknowledge them when they say something to us just keep walking because that's not something we need to deal with too many times that we hear people have had domestic violence and we just go, all right, cool, and just change the channel because we can. Too many times we see things that are happening in society that could be done differently. But again, we turn our nose to it because we can. And that is coming from a place of privilege. And that is what it is. Privilege is, is something where you can look away from a reality that doesn't necessarily impact you directly because you're not there. And this person who I've got on as a guest, he has decided to do something very different. He decided that he's actually going to make a difference. He's going to make a change rather than ignoring those that he sees around him. And that's important. He sees them, acknowledge them and actually help them improve their current situation. And I've just got so much time for that. I, I can't help but be grateful for people like him that exist. I know I try and do what I do in my capacity and I probably can do more. I will not say otherwise, but I just love helping people who help others. It's just a thing that needs to be done. And he's out on the front line supporting those that are homeless, people that are in domestic violence situation. You even had young boys who said he ain't got food to feed himself because his mum's got, got money for a period of time. And he made that happen. And he's getting all these companies together, pulling in the same direction to support the masses. And if that doesn't make you feel something inside, then boy, we need to have a conversation for a longer period of time. But seriously, when you see a homeless person on the street, in, an, in the same way I said in my previous episodes, your right now is not your forever. There's nothing about a caterpillar that tells you it's going to be a butterfly. That same could be say, said in the sense you're in a good place now. It could take an instance and you're in that position. Then how do you feel when people just walk past you and don't want to talk to you no more? Don't even want to treat you like you're on the same playing field with them just because you ain't got the cleanest garments or a certain brand on your top. These are still human beings 
And this guest has acknowledged that. He's seen that there's been an injustice in how certain groups of people are treated. And he is doing what he needs to do to make things happen. And I'm just fully behind him in what he's doing. So I've probably gone on for a long time about it. I do apologize, but I'm super passionate, super love him for what he's doing. And I'm going to introduce Varel and ask him to introduce himself as he sees fit. And then we'll talk about his first L. So Varel, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. Um, what a beautiful intro, man. Thank you. Humbled, as always. No, it's, it's fine. I, I honestly, from the heart, I absolutely love what you do. I love what you're about. And that's why we've had the conversation that we've had. It, it feels weird that it's been a little while that we've been talking. But I'm always making that time, the push, because if you're, I guess, an analogy goes, when you see someone that's in the car with their hazard lights on, you're not inclined to stop and help them. You just carry on your day. But if you see someone with their hazard lights on, but actively trying to push the car, you feel inclined to get out and stop doing what you're doing and support them. Yeah. And seeing you helping others just feels like, why wouldn't I? Yeah. How can I say I'm about the people them and trying to help support people? Yeah. And I'm watching you do all this amazing stuff and not willing to offer my services to support. Yeah. That makes no sense to me. So yeah, man, I absolutely love it. Hey, it's definitely, definitely true what you're saying. Um, I just feel like, this pod, this podcast is is a good space to be in because um we don't have a platform to talk about our L's and things that we go through in life and to reflect on them and look back at them. I feel like sometimes we take these Polaroid snapshots of our lives and we just throw them Polaroids in the bin. We forget about them. We don't really put them up to a kind of timeline where we've come from. So I think this space is is needed. So um thanks for having me. Oh, greatly appreciate it. Find time in your day to carve out for little old me. So thank you very much and my listeners. And yeah, that's what it's about. It For me, it is about people knowing that you do have a voice. Whatever you're feeling, that's okay to feel it. However you navigate, that's also okay how you navigate it. But a time of reflection is important because I think we honestly are very brutal on ourselves. We're very unkind to ourselves and we need to do better because we wouldn't look at our loved ones and tell them, yeah, you should be feeling bad for yourself because you messed this up or you messed that up. So why would so if you love them and you're saying you wouldn't say that to them, why then do you look at yourself in the mirror and say the same thing? Say that you're this, you're that. Come on now. Let's 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 try and do better. Yeah. So can you tell the people what you do from your perspective? Because obviously I've said what I've said, but tell people from your own words, in your own way, sorry, what you do and why you do it. Yeah. Um so I do a lot of work when it comes to helping those that are on the poverty line. It started off with people who were solely homeless. Now it's gone into people who are in domestic violence, people who just don't have money for school dinners, just everything really, like literally everything to try and balance out the problem that we've got with um, the poverty line currently in the UK. And how do you go about getting that support to them? Um, so various ways. So I've set up various initiatives um, that have allowed me to allow them to access a way of living that we have in terms of having a stable income and stuff and can afford stuff. So for instance, I put money behind tills and restaurants and working out with that restaurant owner how many meals I can get for the amount of money I left behind the till, which then turns into these little coins that I walk around like a three or four mile radius around that shops um, area and give out these coins on the spot to allow a homeless individual to be able to walk into a restaurant and to get hot food when they want it based on their dietary requirements and needs. I've set up a school uniform bank through social media asking people for school uniform that they don't want anymore for, for, for their kids that are have outgrown them because they grow so fast. For me to then collect them and take them into a dry cleaners to get them washed and in a better condition, ready to give back out to the community so they don't have to spend that much on it. When it comes to things like Christmas, I do Amazon wish lists through social media that generate hundreds of presents into the boroughs that I'm situated in to then give out to DV households, domestic violence households, um, where you might have a mum or dad feed domestic violence, which means that for this time of the year, it being Christmas, you find that a lot of people who have fleed domestic violence already are now going back to home because they don't want to have their kids without nothing at Christmas and they rather try and start again in the new year because this time is getting desperate for them. 
Um, Easter, you know, I do collections for Easter eggs and stuff to make sure no kids are left behind. Um, literally anything. You know, I had a situation the other day. I was in Milton Keynes, had another boy that you mentioned earlier on in my introduction. And he's just messaged me and said, look, I've watched what you do. I don't know if you can help me. My mom, mom said we're not going to have any food next week because she's running out. And I'm like, okay, let me see if I can make it happen. And I literally put his screenshot of his message of what was going on with his household. And people from social media were basically getting food delivered to his house. And I wasn't even there. I was in Milton Keynes. Amazing. You know, so that's the power of social media. Um, and I think luckily because of my skill set as being like a graphics designer is my degree, I've understood the kind of dynamics of what I need to put forward for people to start helping. Um, in terms of like a, a scripted understanding of the transparency of what I do, which kind of makes makes me, I guess, marketable to to be doing this properly. Um, in terms of people trust and understanding, because I'm so transparent with the things that I do. Um, and those are some of the initiatives, which seem to be growing all the time based on conversations I have with people through social media. That's incredible. And people tell, t- trust me, tell me you don't feel something right now. Cause I do. And I've heard this story multiple times. Like I follow him. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's really, really encouraging. And can I just say to people, right. And I know we're going to get through to your socials in a bit, but if you're listening to this podcast, please leave a like rate and review the podcast because then more people can listen to these. And I think it's so important that we do have these conversations like Varel mentioned before and the only way we're going to get people to listen to these is by sharing it, by promoting it. And hopefully when you hear the stories of the various guests that I have on, if it resonates with you and makes you feel better, then hopefully by other people being exposed to it, it will make them feel better as well. So if I can ask you to just pause it for a minute, go drop a like, rate it, review it, and then come back. Cool. Let's make it happen. Now your first L, we had a bit of a conversation and just to clarify a few things we decided we're not going to go with the L's that you sent over to me. You just said that you're going to change it up for something else. And I only know the one word that you gave me. And I said, don't tell me no more. I want to be able to have a natural conversation with you. So people, like I said all the time, I don't know anything other than what's being told to me right now. And this L that Varel's told me that he wants to talk about is anxiety. Now, when I hear anxiety, I have my own dealings and ongoing struggles with anxiety. But I'm thinking, rah, for someone that does what he does, there could be a whole host of ways that could trigger him to have anxiety. But I'm thinking it's probably way before all of this started for what you want to talk about. But correct me, I'm happy to be to be educated. All right, cool. So my L started back in seven years ago, just before I got married. So this is the storyline. So my daughter's nine. My wife phoned me one day and she said, Babe, I feel a metal taste in my mouth. So I said, okay. And my mum said, she thinks that I'm pregnant based on that that taste. So I said, okay, cool. No problem. Came around the house. And you know, truth be told, she was pregnant. At that time, I was 24. Um, I was like, okay, cool. So baby's coming. You know, I was living at my house. She was living with her mum. So I was still living with my mum as well. And then we were, you know, we're taking um, Phoenix, my daughter, from house to house to house, as you do. And things got even more serious and we got married. But my wife turned on and said to me just before the wedding, maybe six months before, she's like, when we get married, we're not coming back to our parents' house. You know, this is this is it now. We have to move on. And I said, oh, my gosh, this is going to get difficult. So we've moved house, gone, 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 got a flat. We've got married. We've just had Phoenix, which is now two, I believe, or three. And I was like, life's moving too fast. I was panicking about bills. I was panicking about health for me because I wanted to be around for my daughter forever. And at that time, I was like 24 stone, I believe. So health was a problem. Everything just seemed to be a problem. And I think having all those drastic changes so sporadically when I was literally 
accustomed to just living at home with my mum, all of a sudden I had to man up in months. And that gave me a massive anxiety level in terms of thinking if I could cope, trauma of, am I going to be a good dad? Am I not going to be a good dad? Am I going to be a husband? I'm not going to be a good husband. And that stereotype you're played of, you know, not being there for your kids and what society kind of portray. And then things got difficult um, in terms of finances. You know, the wedding came, loads of money was being spent, but not lots of money was coming in. It just got difficult. So everything kind of went back to normal. And then Hudson came along, which is my second one. And I was like, oh, mate, this is, this is, this is difficult again, you know. So I just started a new job um, at the school and lockdown came. So we, we sped up to lockdown now. So everything was going fine just before lockdown. Life was getting back to normal. I was starting to get accustomed to how to pay the bills and whatnot and trying to get rid of that historical debt from my wedding and whatnot. And then lockdown came and they were kind of told, no one's allowed out and socials are not going to happen anymore. And that put me in a place of a difficult situation because my wife was a health visitor, which meant she still had to do contact with people's houses to weigh babies and check over babies and whatnot because she was a key worker. And even though I was a key worker, no schools were open. So we were told to stay home, to stay safe. But the guidelines were telling me to stay home to stay safe as the man of the house. But the guidelines were also telling my wife that she had to leave the house, which was the mother of my children. And I couldn't comprehend that. And it bugged me that her workplace wasn't giving her the correct PPE to go into people's houses. Now, this is the beginning of lockdown. So I'm thinking everything's going to go wrong because I sat watching the news every single day, every alert, every announcement. I was tuned in. That's what I was tuned into which put me in a very turbulent place because I went back to the anxiety state I had before of not knowing what was going to happen financially with the house. Then I was worrying about my wife leaving the house. Then I was worried about the future of my kids. And it just got to a place where it was too difficult. I used to wake up in the morning just before my wife left for work and watch her get dressed, her getting in the car, driving at the area, leaving me at home with the kids. I was isolated. That is what isolation is. I was isolated in the house. And day one, day two, day three, all just manifested into months. And it just felt too difficult. I was isolated. I was going for walks. But I wasn't getting anything out of life because you're doing this Groundhog Day every day and it's too much. And I remember getting really emotional with this whole staying home by myself and whatnot. I remember having a conversation with my wife when she came home. She sat me down and she said, look, I understand this is stressful for you, stressful for me, but you theoretically just have to man up because if you don't, the kids are going to get isolated emotionally and they're going to only conduct themselves in the way they see you conducting yourself because you're the only adult around them at the moment. And it hit me that if I don't pull myself together and pull myself out of this, anxiety state that I'm in, I'm going to make my kids anxious orientated as well. And I can't do that to them because I already struggle so much with it. So I decided that I'm going to throw myself into the creative side of things again, which graphic designer, I threw myself into a YouTube channel in lockdown. And it was literally picking up my bike, going for bike rides with my daughter, fixing punches with my daughter. And that YouTube channel hit just under 900. 900 subscribers within the first six to eight months of the channel running. And that was my way out. My bike was my way out of this whole lockdown situation. I was allowed to exercise. That was part of guidelines. So I went for bike rides. Used to bring my daughter, bought my, my son a, a, a carry-on bike where you could put the bike seat on the bike so you could ride with him. And we just used to go on rides, vlog the rides and whatnot. And people were like, how are you so happy? Like, I think I had one of the messages was from Connecticut. And the guy messaged and said, how are you so happy when we're in such a, a crazy place? And I read that and I said to myself, wow, I am happy, you know. 
And I'm not even, I'm not fussed about what's going on anymore because my cognitive isn't thinking about me anymore. It's thinking about um, good times and building memories and whatever's going to happen, I've still done something. And what happened was, I think I accidentally put one of the videos up on Facebook, not thinking about it. And the reception I got from it was like, wow, you are happy, you know? And I found myself in a happy space and I wanted everyone to know I was in a happy space now because um, one of the things I've learned with anxiety is if when you have good times, record them. Vlog yourself, vlog how you're feeling. So when those bad times come, you can look at that and say, oh, I can be in that space again. I can be happy again. I can go swimming again. I can do this with a wife again. And when you look at them, it puts you in a space of not cognitive thinking about bad things because you now see good memories visually. And um, I remember putting the video up and everyone was like, oh, I know where that canal is. Can I come and join you? And everyone was joining me for these bike rides. And through that summer of lockdown, we had maybe 30, 35 of us. We used to ride down the canal um, where I live. And the bike group kept growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And then that's where I started to kind of sit back and reflect and look at that L and decide and make a decision that now I was basically responsible for a bike group, which I had never intended to have. And this bike group was counting on me in terms of leadership, I guess, through lockdown of guidelines and seeing if the group wanted to still ride, see if the group needed help with certain things. And we almost came like this kind of fast and furious bike group, <laughs> you know, and we, we all looked after each other while, while the world was going mad. We were fixing each other's bikes instead of queuing up and booking stuff in halfers to get inner tubes fixed and stuff. And that's when it really hit home that I don't have time to be anxious anymore because I now have a community of people who I hardly know that I'm responsible for now because they're all asking me questions. They're all asking me about, what do you think about this? Do you think we should still go on the ride now? Do you think we should still separate? Do you think we should do this? And it's like, whoa, 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 I'm not used to this, you know? And I feel like that anxiety stage I was in there, the way I look at anxiety now from, from where I am, from where I am after lockdown to now is that I started lockdown broken a very broken um, man, very broken husband, very broken father. Not because it was inflicted pain, but it was inflicted thought process that I would put on myself on a daily basis. Now I'm in a space where I've come out of a lockdown, literally a force to be reckoned with. I couldn't give to hoots about anxiety. It is just something that has now become a superpower because I can look at a conversation and say, okay, well, this is going to make me anxious afterwards. So I'm going to have to stand up for myself now because I don't want to leave this environment and feel anxious for three days, four days, five days, six days, or see that person's post on Instagram knowing that it could be about me because I didn't show them how I felt there and then. So I feel like it's that kind of sixth sense for me at the moment now. And I see that L um, as something that has been a weight on my shoulders for a very long time but now it's not a weight anymore I use it as my ammunition to get myself through situations now it's a completely different ball game I own anxiety now I don't really it doesn't own me anymore That's really encouraging. And I have so many questions about that just because anxiety can be crippling. Anxiety can cause you to rob yourself. And I say rob yourself of every bit of happiness that potentially is coming your way <laughs> yeah. just because you will say a no when you really want to say yes. But all these other destructive thoughts will come in and will somehow arrest you and yeah. make you think, nah, you're staying put. Yeah. And that's not really where you want to be. But you but you you your mind is such a powerful, powerful part of your being that it, it can really put you in a bad way if it's not checked regularly. So 
if I could rewind a little bit when you said, well, quite a way. So you're talking about how your mum with her wise old ways, sorry, mum, don't mean old, but wise ways said about, yo, I think she's pregnant, you know? All right, cool. Was you expecting that to be the case? How did you deal with that? Because for me, for a lot of men, then that would have been, <laughs> what? I mean, I mean, for me, it, it's one of them things where I grew up in a, in a single mum household. So for me, in terms of being attentive towards my girlfriend at the time, with whatever situation arise, it wouldn't have been an issue for me. Um, so when it happened, I was like, okay, wow, this is new. This is just another chapter. You know, we'd already been together for two years and whatnot. And if you're doing, if you're doing the business, I guess, you you know it's going to happen sooner or later. Or you're just, yeah. you're just, you're just firing blanks, you know? So when it happened, it was, it was perfect. I don't think there's any, any right time. And I think the problem why anxiety is so high, and especially, especially in this day and age, is that there's so many benchmarks around us on a daily basis. You look on Instagram, there's someone who's in your age group that's doing good, and you think to yourself, what am I doing? You go on Facebook, you see someone else who's younger than you scoring a goal, and you see how much they're getting paid, or you drive down the road. And you see your old friend who's driving a better car than you, or you see one of your friends in the shop and they say to you, Oh, what are you doing with yourself? And you tell them and they tell you how exciting their life is. And it's like every, every time you look around, someone's ready to put you in an anxious state. If you're not stable within your own thought process. And we live in a very, a verified environment in terms of. Back in the day, it used to be how much brain cells you had to be at a level. Now it's how many followers you have or how many interactions you have through social media that will make you at a level, that will make you something. And it's almost like if you don't have a digital version, digital passport version of yourself on social media with presence, you ain't saying nothing. When really it's not about that. But then no one has conversations anymore. So in terms of anxiety, anxiety is going to be at all-time high because no one can prove themselves to Jimmy. And I think that's where a lot of the problems stem from as well, in terms of anxiety. And, you know, if we if we all, like every every nation that's 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 in England, any every nation that listens to this podcast, if we strip ourselves back to our ancestors' days where, you know, villages and whatnot, um, We'd be all in a state of play where we're not worrying about all these social media things. You know, we're doing our hunting, we're providing for our families, we're doing some form of education in terms of learning the trade or something within our within our areas. But I think this is where this hostile environment comes from with this mental health problem that we all have. I still struggle with it time to time. Is because we're always forward thinking to trying to make ourselves do better. If we just stayed stationary. And stop worrying about everyone else. We'd be okay, but it's that it's that presence of we've all got that annoying couple that's around us that might be doing stuff, and your wife says, "Oh, look what they're doing." Okay, I can see they've gone to Milan again this week. Yeah, it's not going to happen for us. Just, just let it go. So, it's you're always around someone or something that is trying to outdo you, and sometimes we just need to sit back and say, "You know what? Let outdo us. I'm tired now." Yeah, but then is, that sounds quite wise. But is that you talking as you are today, or is that talking about as you were then? Because definitely, this is definitely me talking as as I as I am now. Before I'd have been chasing. Before I would have had a credit card and gone to Milan. Oh wow! Well, at least you're honest about it. And obviously, you, like your weight, because twenty four stones quite big, though, isn't it? Yeah, twenty four stones is big. <laughs> Sorry. You know what? Yeah, I had I got a picture. So I'll show you later. There's a picture of me holding some trousers that are literally a door frame wide. Wow. Yeah, and I'm six foot four. Wow. You know, so it's, it's so you took up the whole door. Yeah, took whole door, big boy, and um, I lost that weight through cycling. Nice. Just riding a bike. Bikes, bikes have. But the funny thing is, a bicycle, not a motorbike, a bicycle has literally saved my life in so many different ways. I owe it to a bicycle. I've lost weight. 
I stopped having anxiety attacks through a bike. I started a movement through a bicycle. The benchmark of me helping homeless people is through a bike. It is mental. My whole life involves bikes. I commute to work on a bike. And I think that that is really important, that you found something, one thing, and it sounds so simple that it feels like this is impossible because society, social media tells you, it's not just one thing you can have that will make your life transformative. It has to be a combination of multiple things, mainly Apple products and other products as such, makeup, nails, whatever. But you're saying it's just one thing, just one thing. that helped you flip it on its head from you being the size of a doorway yeah. Yeah. to being your slimmer version of yourself a much healthier version of yourself, I'd imagine, and being a happier version of yourself as well. Yeah. And I'm I'm 100% happy now, man. Um, the kids and my wife, 100% happy. They make me happy all the time. But when you got anxiety, you can have all the riches in the world. You can have everything. It will still put you in that frame of mind that you are nothing. You have not achieved nothing. You are... You're you're just rubbish because it will be silly things like, you know, your wife will call you while you're at work and say to you, oh, this has happened and that's happened. And your cognitive will put you in such a bad state that you'll think that the world's going to end or something's going to happen to the little one or this bill's not going to be paid. And that anxious, anxious state has wasted so many hours because you've been thinking about it so much that now... You can't even get that time back. You've wasted it. You most you almost almost wasted a whole day's work thinking about a problem that when you get home is not even that big. But you've made it that big in your head that you can't even calm yourself down by the time you got home. So is that mainly how you got around your anxiety just through riding a bike, or did you talk to anybody, or was there any other support network around you? See, this is the thing. So in terms of support network, not many people understand anxiety. And I think, okay, I can take my mum for an example. My mum, from a cultural perspective, she does not understand anxiety. It's it's a thing where, what are you talking about? What do you mean you're worried about this or you're worried about that? Don't worry, pray to God, it'll, be, it'll fix itself. No, mum, it doesn't work like that. And it's like, that's where the difficulties come sometimes. But now my mum fully understands it. Because um, I feel like anxiety was... They're back in the day, but they didn't really have a, a, a title for it for people to understand what it was. It's just where oh, that boy is sick, man. No, he's not sick. He just doesn't, he doesn't cognitively think the way that everyone else thinks. But I feel like anxiety is a superpower. And it's a superpower because it allows you to see past what other people look at when situations arise. So if my wife says to me she's going to go and drive to Heathrow Airport, okay, in my head. Are the tyres checked? Is there enough water in the tank? Is there enough petrol? Does she have extra money that if her battery runs out, she can buy food if she breaks down? Is the phone charged? Is there a phone charger? Is there a spare blanket in the back in case the car breaks down because it's cold outside? That's the superpower of having anxiety, where someone who doesn't have anxiety and their cognitive don't think bad things are going to happen all the time. When bad things do happen, they're caught off guard because they've never had the full process to think about those things that I just discussed. And that's where I feel like people who have anxiety, once you work out that it is a superpower and your cognitive is because you're you're given a better space to think than other people, that's when you start seeing things a lot different. And that's where you, I guess you start to have the whole Avengers Assemble thing in your head where you work out the good and the bad and not to worry and what to worry about because you see things before they happen. Yeah. See danger before danger sees you. Exactly. I like that. That That's a very much a whole change in your perspective, leaning into what is already at your disposal, you know, whereas before you took it for granted, yeah, you're going for a journey. All right, cool. See you later. Hopefully. But then you're saying this is, you're now thinking about it, saying this now made me hyper-focus on what could be a potential scenario for, my loved one. Yeah. Let me just make sure I go through this mental checklist to make sure it's okay. And that for me is, and I guess it's slightly different, but for me, I feel like it's similar. If employers were about this diversity life 
And I really mean, I'm not playing saying lip service. I'm not saying just get the black brows and everyone else in just for the sake of it or get people that are otherwise challenged physically or mentally. I'm talking about get them really on board because we're in a culture of where people on social media and companies are getting cancelled for some of their stuff they're posting, which is just shouldn't be said, shouldn't be done. But if they had those groups of people in that they don't want realistically like representing them, they would avoid all this stuff because people that are on the spectrum they have a place in society and they can see things in a completely different way to those of us that are not on the spectrum. Exactly. And that is that is their superpower because they see things in a very different way. You've then got people that are maybe they, they need more female colleagues in a work environment because some jokes that you might make, let's go, let's talk about Tampon that made that crude message, which I don't really want to talk about because it's a bit bad. But if anyone knows, Google it, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. I would like to think if a woman was there, she would have said, don't. Yeah. Just don't. And that would have saved them so much PR, so much legal, probably, issues and a whole heap of stuff. That it just could have been avoided. But ultimately, it's just a matter of if you are surrounded by the right groups of people, they can help you see things in the right way. Yeah. And if you don't have yourself surrounded by those people, then you're forever going to be making those types of mistakes on a frequent basis unless you're fully aware and will reflect on what you're doing and going, uh, this ain't working. I could be completely wrong, but that's how I'm thinking right now. I mean, the, the downside to that is sometimes, even with a, an anxious person, I'm guilty of it as well. There's been loads of times someone's asked me to do something and I do it. I turn up to wherever I'm turning up. And in the back of my head, I'm like, why am I here? I don't even want to be here, but I just want to save that argument or that situation. And then they don't, they don't appreciate it. And you drive off thinking to yourself, do you know what? I'm never doing this again. Yeah. I'm never, ever doing this again with this person. And then two months later, you find yourself back in the same position again. Now, <laughs> you're lucky if you even, even if I answer your phone call. <laughs> time for the aftermath. The aftermath of, make, of me feeling silly or not understood or Every time my phone rings from that from specific people, it feels like they only want something from me. They ain't supposed to be how life works, you know? And, you know, someone said something the other day, and I completely agree. Phones and having free calls have made everyone feel like they're accessible 24 hours a day. Yeah. When it was when it, when it was pay as you go, my phone weren't ringing like this. My messages <laughs> weren't popping off like this. My emails weren't popping off like this. And people want responses. No, you have to hold your corner for a bit because only people I should be responsive to is my circle. Yeah. Just because I pay a line rental and keep my phone on and keep it charged does not mean everyone's entitled to responses like that. It's not supposed to be like that. If you if you if you take on average someone who's got three hundred phone phone numbers in their book, are they supposed to be responsible for us turning the calls to every single three hundred pers- people in their phone book? No, it's time consuming. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I must admit, I find it funny. And I don't think I told you this. I might have done. But I remember we've got a bay window in our house. So it means that if you're standing by our front door, you can see in our house. And where the TV was facing, we had two TVs. You've got a big TV, you've got a tiny one. And the reason I've got a tiny one because I play the PlayStation while I miss you watching the main TV. Or sometimes we swap. I watch the main TV. She's playing PlayStation. One of the reasons why I love her, right? right. But, you know, <laughs> you know, I was sat there. And the door went, and I turned around and I said, oh, it looks like Jehovah's Witness. She said, oh, you can answer the door. I said, no. I said, but they can see you. I said, so? Just because you're knocking on my door, don't mean I have to answer it. I said, but it's rude. And I said, so what, 3 a.m., when someone comes to our front door with a balaclava, what looks like a baseball bat, I must answer the door because they're knocking on my door. And the same way, same energy I have with that scenario, I treat my number. Very few people have my, well, I say very few people because I don't give up my number like that. But if you have my number, yeah. I promise you, there will be times where I will look at my phone, watch it ring, I will not answer it because I am not available. You might have my number, but it doesn't mean I have to answer it. And that's something I think a lot of people have forgotten. They forget that they have a choice not to answer. Just like when you're walking to a shop and someone will be on the phone and if you're serving them, you just feel a hella rude because they're not getting off the phone. You have a choice at that moment to say, it's not a good time right now. Let me call you back. Yeah, 100%.
but people don't do that. And I think that's what's caused a lot of anxiety. I'll promise you, I look, look at my phone, I've probably got three messages on there at least that I haven't got back to because I'm just not in a mental state of mind to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That can cause me anxiety. That's why I have two phones. So do you, do you still battle with anxiety now? Oh, yeah. Mm. I, have a, I have a better handle on it, but I think I get myself in the state where I have a large amount of energy I need to dedicate to certain tasks. And when I can't dedicate that level of energy to a task or a conversation, I just end up going, I can't fake this. The gap between where I need to be and where I am is too big. And I, that's something that I work on. And I, I get it. And I, I, like I, I'm openly honest with you about it. I will tell people about that. I've got no shame. But for the most part, I'll lean into it and I'll do the best thing I can and I'll always be there. But it's, it's, that's why I find your, your L interesting because of your anxiety and how that for you was an L. But given what you've gone through, it does sound interesting that that is something that you now see as a superpower that you've now overcome, you know, finding that you was pregnant in, in the happiest way it is, is still potentially a shock or some description because it's a massive life event. And then your weight being what it was and you wanted to potentially, did you want to improve your weight or did it just happen through riding? Oh, so, so I had a conversation with one of my best friends. I said to him, oh, look, you know, um, I'm having a, having a child and he's like oh bro that's sick man i'm gonna say something to you but i don't need to get stressed out so i'm like what he's like i'm gonna ask you something you give me the answer so it's not me telling you you're answering your own self so he goes to this i said okay cool tell me he's like if you went to the doctors and they said to you you drinking too much alcohol is gonna make your lungs collapse would you still do it i'm like no He's like, if you went to the doctors and said that because of your drug abuse, your drug addiction, you're going to die in a couple of months, would you still do it? He's like, no. So I said, he goes to me, all right, cool. If you went to the doctors and said that you're obese and you're going to die from it, would you still do it? So the penny dropped the first time. Then he goes to me, all right, forget that. You're in heaven now. And you're looking down in the auditorium and you're seeing all your family cry at your funeral. And they're crying because you didn't stop the smoking, you didn't stop the drinking, and you didn't stop eating unhealthily. And now you've passed away. You could have prevented all of these people that love you from mourning your death because it was self-inflicted. I said, whoa. That's big. There's a hundred ways to die. Obesity, drug addiction, or anything that's self-inflicted shouldn't be a way that you leave this earth. And that's when it hit. And I was like, okay, cool. I got to do something about this. Because fine, I don't mind dying from from a a critical illness. I don't mind if I accidentally get knocked over. But I can't make obesity or any of these things be my way out. It's not fair. And that was your turning point. That was my turning point. It stays my turning point. It comes back every so often. Your friend's special, man. Yeah. That was very well put. Do you think if you could go back in time to when you was at your worst state, I guess, of anxiety, do you think you could have said something similar to yourself to help the penny drop? No, because then I would have been anxious that I'm going to die soon from obesity because I was still big at the time. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think something you could tell your younger version of yourself when you was really anxious? What do you think you could tell yourself to help you understand that? Yo, it's a superpower. The same thing my wife told me two years ago, man up and sort yourself out emotionally because you have little eyes watching you that are adapting to your behaviours. Even if you don't have kids, you've got nieces and nephews that watch you on a daily basis. And the way you pull yourself, conduct yourself on a daily basis, the way you speak to your your family members around younger younger spaces is what ultimately shapes the way those children conduct themselves as adults because they're looking to you for reassurance with what you do on a day-to-day. And I think it's, you know, everyone has a book and the more we start to understand that our pages are going to mean something to someone one day is 
where we've got to now sort ourselves out. Because it's, it's not about, I used to think it was about financial finances and stuff. It's not. It is legacy. When you leave this earth, did you make enough stamp on it for your story to live forever? Or did you make enough stamp on it for your material possessions to be of existence to older generations? But then they've got that inheritance, but your great, great, great grandchildren don't know who you are. Yeah. That is, that is something quite interesting how you put that. Do you think you would have been in a headspace to receive that information, to receive it in a way that would help you to actively? No way. That would have caused anxiety, that would have caused anxiety again. Because I, would have, I was at crossroads. It was nine to five home, nine to five home, nine to five home, weekend, prior mark, food shopping, lunch shopping for work. It was a cognitive thought process of just the same old situations happening from Monday to Sunday. There was no change. But I feel like for someone to get out of an anxious state, you've got to be taking some accountability for some form of movement or some form of outside responsibility within an establishment or a group or anything. Because then you you then need to have your cognitive process better for a body of people that are around you because you have that critical thinking. That's what anxiety is. People who have anxiety have critical thinking. But anxiety, what we're taught the anxiety of is mental health sides of things. It's not. It's just critical thinking. But your critical thinking is about self all the time. Once you rewire and you realise it's not about you anymore and you do the critical thinking for people around you, different ballgame. You'll be a beast You'll be a monster in terms of fixing everything. So that sounds like, oh, I don't even know where the quote originates from, but I'm going to go Coach Carter, where they said about our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what that sounds like in terms of, what you're talking about, the coke, you know, you're being responsible for other people that like you have this ability to do more than what you're thinking about. You'll keep it too so close to your chest that it's it's about you and it's really not about you. It's about the wider impact that you potentially can have. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I feel like once you get out of that space of once you get out of that space of I mean, it would be weird for me to say this, but I feel like because I'm someone who's come out of it, um, it makes sense for me. I feel like society portrays anxiety anxiety to be a bad thing in terms of it being mental health and cognitive thinking and fight or flight response and all the negative stuff. The positive is not pushed ever. And I feel like people who have anxiety and have worked out how to control it and tame it for purpose when they want to use it are much stronger figures and they stand for more because they've been through so much their hurdles are 10 times higher with the situation that arises you know you can have a something as simple as someone's iphone being robbed or you saw someone robbed at knife point for an anxiety person you look at that situation and say whoa my wife's walking with pepper spray now. My kids ain't ever going out. I'm going to pay for health insurance because that might happen. I'm going to pay for phone insurance that might happen. I'm going to send my kids to judo for seven months but until that anxiety state's come because you put all these things in practice and it's costing you loads and loads of money. So that hurdle's 10 times higher than someone who doesn't have anxiety that will look at that knife crimes incident and say, ah, oh, happens all the time. It is what it is. And we'll go on with life. They don't think it ever. They're shaking up a bit, but they don't think about it again. To an anxious person, seven, eight, nine months, ten months, a year, two years, you go back to that scene, you relive the anxiety situation again. Because your hurdles ten times earlier, your 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 hurdles ten times higher in that respect, and you don't stop thinking about that situation, that that chapter that comes up, which makes you ten times stronger when those situations do arise in your family, because you really been accustomed to thinking about it. For instance, people who were in lockdown, 
their mental health was 10 times worse than our mental health because we're always thinking about the world's going to end. We're always thinking that bad things are going to happen or we're not going to be able to pay our bills. All of a sudden, the whole nation's thinking like that. And I'm like, okay, what's wrong with you? I've been feeling like that from a da- for a daily basis. And then you realise that we're not so different. It's just that we put ourselves on these shelves and look down at ourselves all the time because we feel like we're not going through it. We're going through it. But we're only doing that by us because ourselves because from a cultural perspective as well, we're taught to keep our business to our household. We're taught not to talk about stuff. Don't air your dirty laundry. Exactly. And that's where part of the problems happen because we have grown to adulthood saying to ourselves, we can't tell anyone that we're worried about something. And now I've got to the point where I will go on social media and say, I've got anxiety. This person's bugging me. It is what it is. And I feel like this platform, in a sense, has fixed my anxiety. You know, I don't get paid for what I do. But one thing I will say is, I never thought I'd be in a place now where Anxiety doesn't exist within my life and my my family's life. And that is a massive trade-off for doing something so voluntary and so selfless in a sense that my currency for that is that I don't have anxiety anymore. And that's a good place to be in. That's a massive trade-off. I would trade off doing voluntary work every single day for the rest of my life, knowing that I don't have to spend five to six hours after work being anxious and not being a good husband or a good father to my kids because I've isolated myself. You know, it's, you know, the situations where my daughter will get a fever and because in my head, the worst is going to happen to her, I'll shy away from being around her because I'm scared I'm going to lose her. No, if you didn't have anxiety, I'd be all around her hugging her and, but you're scared. And now, you know, I don't, I don't have the anxiety place. So when she's sick or when my son's sick or when my wife's sick, They've got the attentive side to me again because I don't have those those thought processes anymore. That's beautiful. I, I I resonate with that a lot, especially when I have people that I've heard because the jobs I've always worked to be customer service based. I've always been around people, and what I do for my side jobs and whatnot has always been helping people. There's always two sides of the coin for it with me, but because I deal with people, I hear a lot of what people say. I don't just listen for the sake of listening and listening so I can understand the person, what they're going through and how I might be able to support if, if, if it's more than just listening. And I honestly think that we miss the mark sometimes that we don't play out how we're feeling and try to understand why we are feeling what we're feeling. Because when people are there in a moment and they're so scared and so wound up, so highly strung, it's like, oh, I can't afford to miss out a single second. The fact that you're thinking that yeah. means you're missing out on those seconds because you're trying to force it. You're not just living and just doing you. You're trying to match yourself up to an expectation that either you've created it out of nowhere or it's indirectly been f- pushed into you that's against what you've been seeing in and around your actual real people in your lives or what you see on social, what you see on the media, whatever. And that can be so toxic especially when it comes to your happiness because comparison is the thief of all joy. When you compare yourself to another person, all of a sudden you start thinking, I don't look as good as I would like to. But if no one hears anything else, hear this, right? All of us could eat the exact same quantity of food and would all look different because we're designed differently. We are all different and we're beautifully different. And that is something that I don't think we talk about enough, that we are different for a reason. We should embrace what we have, our uniqueness, our quirks, our everything about us. And that's okay to be that way. But I, but I just love your take on anxiety. So your anxiety wasn't a loss. What is it? A tick to a space I would never go to again. It's just a small tweak. You know, you look at an L, you mirror it, and you turn it to the side, and it's a tick. It's just like an X. The X was never an X. It's a tick to a situation, a relationship you would never partake in again because it was too toxic or you felt vulnerable in it. So I think losses can turn to wins, and I think losses can also turn to ticks when you're definitely over that chapter. 
I like that. It's, it sounds all about perspective. And I have said this before, and it's for me, it's a matter of you can't add a filter to your life, but you can change your mentality. 100%. And that's clearly what you're doing at this moment in time. So definitely with the whole you talking about the ticks, the superpower, those are all a mentality shift. And ah, I can't lie, I'm so gassed for your friend. I just think that that was such a great <laughs> way of dropping that. Yeah. That was so clever. And, that, and I think from their point of view, if you think about it, they could have had anxiety thinking, yo, if I say this to my boy, mm. this could potentially ruin a relationship that I've, I appreciate and love. Yeah. But he said it out of love and thankfully you received it in the way it was intended. I think the thing is, is that the way he scripted it or self-inflicted anyway, because he didn't actually do anything. He just asked me questions. I answered. Yeah, but let's be honest. Probably had those situations where you want to ask someone a question or try and get them to a certain answer. But you have to go, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me play this backwards. If I pose it this way, then I don't have to give them the answer because they are coming to it. So I'd like to think that he knew where he wanted to get to. He just just presented it in a way that helped you come to your own conclusion, which was what he was hoping that you'd get to, which is why you're still here today and doing the amazing work that you're doing. Thanks, man. Crazy road. And you're cycling it very well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So what I'll say is I'm very conscious of time for you because you've got tons of stuff you've got to do. For the next couple of minutes, please selfishly plug anything and everything you're doing, where people can find you. Um, so Instagram is C86. So C86ERZ. My Facebook is Veral Paul Walcott. Um, if you go into Google and type Veripool Walcott, you'll find the majority of my information anyway. And that is about it for my socials. Fair enough. And yeah, just follow him, see what he's doing. He's doing amazing work for people. If you work for an organisation that are looking to support people in the local community, please reach out to Varel because I'm sure he will have some way of making something happen because... You know, for me, I currently work for the government and there's a lot of work they would like to do to support people in that capacity, but there's a lot of red tape that prevents them from doing it. But it doesn't stop us from signposting people like Varel and the great stuff he's doing to get help to those that we're trying to serve and help. So definitely, definitely, definitely reach out and follow and do what you've got to do in regards to support if you can. But again, thank you, Varel, for sharing. You've been an absolutely great guest to be on. I, I can't talk enough good stuff about what you're doing because it is so life-changing what you are doing. There are people out on the streets that are suffering their own anxiety, their own depression, their own other mental health illnesses that they're struggling to navigate through. But because someone like you is rocking up on a bike and acknowledging them, acknowledging their existence, acknowledging what they may be going through, lending an ear and saying, do you know what? Not only do I see you, but I hear you. Let me try and help you. What support do you require? And that is life changing. And you don't know what that person will go on to achieve in their life because you gave them that opportunity. The same way there's other people in your life that have probably done the same thing. We don't know how far these ripples will go until they turn into waves. I'm grateful for you and grateful for what you do. Thank you for coming and sharing. And to anyone that's listening and everyone that's listening, don't doubt what impact you can have in someone else's life. Yes, you might be in a customer service job, you might be in an IT job or whatever it is, but whatever you do, if you do it to the best of your ability and do it in the best way possible, you don't know what a positive impact it could have. Some of us fly off the handle very easily and we do it in a negative way. That could cause massive ramification, which is it's not worth thinking about. But if you think about doing everything you can in love and in a positive way, think about the outcomes it could have. Not only could it just be positive things for your children, for your nieces, for your nephews, for the community, but you could just be that person that saves someone's life and then someone else's. Because ultimately, we're only human, just like everyone else on this earth. But there are some people that are seen as superheroes because of what they chose to do to help others. and. I just want to encourage you to believe in your own superpowers and to wear that cape with pride. Not so much to underwear on the outside, but, you know, <laughs> still rock that cape with pride and do what you've got to do. But Varel, thank you very much for coming on, sir. Thank you for having me, man. It's been good.
much appreciated. So everyone, please reach out if you ever want to get involved. And do not forget that it's okay to feel what you're feeling. Your right now is not your forever. And you never know. Whatever you're feeling that can sometimes cripple you, it could actually be a superpower. You're just not exercising the right way. 100%. Take care of yourselves and I'll catch you all in the next one. Peace.